All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. Welcome everyone to another bonus episode to finish off the bicycle day, bicycle week extravaganza here on Your Brain on Science. Uh, we hope you've been able to check out our new an up and running YouTube channel featuring our discussion with Leonard Picard, as well as join in on all the fun via our Patreon. So exciting. Yes, we are having tons of fun this week, and we hope that all of our listeners are too. We don't want to delay any further uh, here because this episode is going to be a long but important episode. Uh, so today we're going to be talking with journalist, author, and integration coach Sasha Cisco about why they've publicly called for the resignation of Rick Doblin as MAPS Executive Director. So here at Why Boss or Your Brain on Science, uh, we want to give everyone a platform to reasonably, you know, discuss the issues surrounding psychedelic science. And we encourage everyone to reach out to us if they're interested in being on an episode. Um, we also encourage our listeners to explore some of these topics on their own. And we'll be linking some of the material discussed today on our blog and our YouTube channel. Yeah, so we're very intrigued to hear Sasha's reasoning today because this is a bit of a controversial topic, you know, um, and we find a lot of value in exploring things, you know, that may make people uncomfortable as long as they're within reason and backed up. Uh, but just as a warning, we are going to be discussing some content today that's going to uh, be maybe triggering for some people. Um, so we'll be discussing themes including sexual assault and suicidal ideation. Uh, so please check the episode details for uh, the time point of the episodes that include this content. But uh, with with that, with all of that, welcome, Sasha. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here today. It's an absolute pleasure. I wanted to thank both of you for allowing me to have this space to air my thoughts so that people can hopefully be receptive to them and appreciate them on their merits. And I think this is a great platform to do that. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So before we get into like this discussion, first and foremost, uh, can you tell us some background and like how you got into this investigative journalism type deal in like the psychedelic space? Yeah, totally. Uh, it was about two and a half years ago that I came above ground, so to speak, and started working as an independent journalist uh, covering different topics, and I found my way into a position over at Veterans of War, which is a nonprofit organization that brings ayahuasca to PTSD-afflicted veterans in the container of a naturalistic setting uh, as led by indigenous shaman. Uh, that led me to learn a lot more about uh, rather look into ayahuasca organizations that are distributing this brew to people who have a variety of different health conditions. And I wanted to make sure that I was up to date on all of the news and literature. And in the process, I discovered uh, this one particular ayahuasca church that's literally just a 10 minute drive from uh, UCF, my corner of the 
woods and uh boy golly uh, lots of stuff going on over there and uh i uh created a podcast about it and uh that was the real motivating factor i'd say behind my push to start working as not just an independent journalist but an investigative journalist because i realized that if i was just towing the line for the movement shall we say i was just another cog in the machine and that i needed to be of more benefit to our community and be able to address some of the issues that have been left unaddressed. And I think that's a good way to cap it off. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important to say, like, becoming more active within this space, calling out, you know, bad actors and stuff, and, and actually looking into the facts of why that situation is arising is really important, especially as we kind of are at the top of this bubble, right? <laughs> So with that, uh, let's get into why we're here today. Uh, so you've publicly called for the resignation of Rick Doblin, one of the biggest names in psychedelics um, today. And that's a bold move, to be honest. And I saw it on Twitter. I was like, okay, I see you. Um, so what kind of <laughs> you to this moment? That is a long answer. I'm going to try and keep it as brief <laughs> as I can. Um, simply put, I'll start off with this. He used to be one of my heroes. But all of that changed at the start of last year. Before 2022, I held near unwavering support for MAPS and the work that they do. And in fact, I actually ran a fundraiser on behalf of MAPS back in 2021. Uh, in the past, I have specifically applauded Dr. Doblin's anti-patent strategy, his choice to sue the DEA, the two long-term follow-up studies that he conducted regarding Timothy Leary's uh, research from the 60s. And get this, his choice to call out SoulQuest Ayahuasca Church's false claims of Native American lineage. Make no mistake about it, I have many fond memories of Dr. Doblin, a person who I once considered to be my psychedelic hero. Indeed, as more and more people respond to his message of healing the world, he's developing a following to the extent that he's considered by many to be a visionary leader. In fact, the executive manager to Dr. Doblin, Charlene Justice, MS, described Dr. Doblin in a recent MAPS mailer as being, quote, like a curious toddler, a rebellious teenager, a professional businessman, and a visionary creature all wrapped into one, end quote. As a quick side note, the email indicates that Charlene has been given a rather interesting term of endearment by her colleagues. Uh, in fact, she is called a Rick Wrangler. <laughs> Do either of you have any thoughts about the fact that her job description literally includes chaos mitigation? When I first heard the term Rick Wrangler, I was like, excuse me? And I wanted to also just say that uh, I used to be a huge fan of MAPS too. They like inspired my whole psychedelic career. I did fundraising for their stuff in like 2017. So I definitely get where you're coming from there. And, and the fact that it's now turned into this like he's this visionary leader and he's like got this whole thing behind him and now requires chaos mitigation apparently <laughs> is is quite different than when i first got into like following maps so and you know i think it's fair to state that dr Dobbin appears to be a driven visionary and compassionate individual who is deeply committed to promoting the use of psychedelic substances for therapeutic purposes however in my opinion all is not as it appears to be it is important to consider any public figure's overall impact with a critical and nuanced perspective 
recognizing both their strengths and limitations while evaluating their work based on its merits and impact. Overall, the question of whether or not Dr. Doblin should resign from his position is a complex and multifaceted issue that requires careful consideration and evaluation of all available evidence and perspectives. I wish to make it known that I seek to approach the situation with professionalism and respect, while also being honest and clear about the severity of the situation and the need for decisive action, not just within MAPS, but also within the broader psychedelic community. Although some may go out of their way to decry my choice not to thoroughly discuss Dr. Doblin's positive attributes on today's podcast, I wish to invite our audience to fully consider the weight of the evidence I present today. It goes without saying that dozens, if not hundreds of people within the psychedelic community owe their careers to Dr. Doblin, given his decades of work legitimizing this field of scientific inquiry. And this indisputable fact has led many to form allegiances with him to the extent that they will stand by his side as he continues to engage in unacceptable conduct and will continue to do so even after this podcast is released. Getting back to what I was saying a minute ago, I realized that all isn't really what it appears to be when I heard the New York Magazine cover story podcast series. I really recommend everybody check that out if they haven't yet, especially episodes six and seven. Once I heard that podcast, I lost a number of heroes. Dr. Dobbin was one of them. It was difficult, but that turmoil has largely resolved and I found a path forward. I've realized that Dr. Doblin is no longer fit to serve in his capacity at MAPS. And by working towards hastening his inevitable departure from MAPS, MAPS and the clinical trials that it oversees will, in my humble opinion, be better served by new leadership that simultaneously prioritizes the safety and well being of clinical trial participants while fostering a culture of transparency and accountability. Simply put, Dr. Doblin has engaged in conduct unbecoming of an executive director of a pharmaceutical research organization. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. After spending months consuming more than 200 hours of Dr. Doblin's public speaking engagements over the past few decades, it's become abundantly clear to me that he has abused the public's trust and disgraced his role as a leader of a community whose mission is centered on healing. When I say abusing the public's trust, I mean that he is betraying the expectations of the public in order to serve his own interests, while also routinely displaying grave errors in judgment. Mark my words, I believe he's putting the public at risk. Furthermore, it is my belief that he has failed in his responsibilities to protect the safety and well-being of clinical trial participants. Beyond this, he appears to have demonstrated a consistent lack of transparency and honesty in his public statements. All of this, to me, suggests a disregard for ethical practices and a lack of concern for the well-being of clinical trial participants. It raises basic questions about his fitness to lead MAPS. From my perspective, our community would benefit if Dr. Dobbin were to immediately tender his resignation from MAPS and begin a fulfilling retirement in a manner that he sees fit. When people hold positions of leadership, it's important that they hold themselves to the highest ethical standards and take responsibility for their actions. If Dr. Doblin is not willing or able to do this, then it would be appropriate for him to step down and allow someone else to lead maps 
who can prioritize the safety and well-being of patients as well as the integrity of its clinical research. The fact that I am not alone in my sentiments shows that there is a lack of trust in Dr. Doblin's leadership and decision-making abilities. Today, I want to highlight some issues that I believe will hinder the psychedelic revival if they are not substantively addressed in an immediate fashion. By addressing Dr. Doblin's comments here and now, we can begin to have the uncomfortable discussions that our community has largely avoided. And I want to break the ice for a quick moment. We've all spent the last year witnessing a company almost collapse as its leader repeatedly engaged in questionable and immature behavior. Elon Musk, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the collapse of Twitter. Do either of you see any overlap here? Uh, we'll have to get into the facts, right? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I want to take a brief moment to address those fans of Dr. Dobbin who may believe that I'm taking him out of context or perhaps being uncharitable in my analysis of his public statements. You have my word that I will not nitpick him but rather focus on the broader ideas that he espouses, the same ideas that he wants people to internalize and believe are true. Along with that, I will address the real world impact of these statements. Quote, the emperor wears no clothes. Reads one DM I received on April 1st from a MAP certified therapist regarding a recent Twitter thread I created that concerned Dr. Dalbin. And no, this wasn't an April Fool's joke. Indeed, the calls are coming from within the house. People take umbrage to the fact that I provide critiques of Dr. Dalbin, but I want to make some things clear. Our community can still support MAPS's vision of healing and simultaneously call out bad behavior. Lest we forget, constructive discourse often involves raising valid criticisms that question the status quo. Critique is, a, is an essential element to advancing the field of psychedelic sciences and not a danger or a threat. A change in leadership at MAPS won't change their mission of healing. I just want to say, like, that's something that we talk about a lot um, on the podcast. It's like, and I think I've talked um, with um, some people at Symposia, and so has Armin, about, like, how we can call people out and not have it be, you know, we're against the quote-unquote movement, right? Like, we can still support moving forward in a positive way, even by... You know, yeah. And the argument that I have there is you can't let your, like your community is not going to grow and thrive if things that need to be addressed are going unaddressed. Like if you love something, you will do the best for it, right? Like, and critique is part of that and understanding and growing. And, you know, of course, every industry is going to have issues. We're all human at the end of the day, right? Like, it's not like, we're robots and like, whatever, everyone has emotions and you can try to be as professional as you want. Like things are going to happen and there's going to be controversies. There's going to be things that we need to adjust. So I think that as responsible and, you know, like as people with a responsibility, you know, as scientists with a responsibility to be critical of these things as a journalist, you know, to have the responsibility to do that. And as a member of the community. So I don't know, that's maybe my two cents on just very generally like how the psychedelics field is very anti critiquing things right like it's very like and, and the movement's not going to die from being like maybe i think things should be a little bit different right like i think the stronger that we can be by identifying weakness is the goal right like to be stronger but anyway 
Totally. I'm loving what you said. And, you know, uh, I, I keep having this uh, quote by Doblin replay in my head over the past few weeks. And I'm just loving it. It's one of my favorite Doblin quotes. Uh, he once stated that the lone critic standing up against the tide of history can really make a difference. That's rather inspiring, I'd say. But, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it Timothy Leary who said, think for yourself and question authority? Yeah, I literally have a thing um, right above my desk that also says turn on, tune in, drop out. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, and one of the goals here, one of the goals of MAPS, right, is this net zero trauma collective, right? One of the, or rather two of the biggest goals that MAPS has their, their long-term vision, so to speak, are that of a spiritualized humanity and a net zero trauma world. So as far as a net zero trauma world, this buzzword laced slogan is an implausible and if ultimately unverifiable goal, given that there's absolutely no way in which researchers could accurately quantify not just the trauma that's, shall we say, being created, but also the acts or behaviors that are negating trauma. How could researchers accurately quantify such matters on local, national, and global scales? It, in, in my mind, it's ridiculous to assert that we can ever design the tools necessary to accurately and precisely measure such complex data, much less the pharmacological tools to help bring it about. Achieving a net zero trauma world is a profoundly complex and multifaceted goal that is possible in my opinion, but would require sustained collaborative efforts from individuals across the globe. And it would be a fool's errand to try and eliminate all trauma across the globe, but it is possible to work towards reducing its impact and creating a more supportive and healing environment for all of those who have experienced it. Um, one of the things that first led me to lose trust in Dr. Doblin, that was at the start of last year. Uh, around that time, uh, the podcaster Joe Rogan was courting controversy on a daily basis, given that he was reading uh, COVID misinformation and you know the rest. And by the time that February rolled around, uh, that video emerged of him repeatedly saying the N-word on his podcast. And he came out and apologized for it, saying that it was one of the most regrettable things he's ever done. Um, uh, and at that time, this inspired me to actually go back to the old episodes of the Joe Rogan experience where Dr. Doblin had appeared. It wasn't just Dr. Doblin, it was other people, other people in the psychedelic community, right? Because I wanted to look back and reflect and what have you. And before I got even a half hour into the April 2016 podcast, my jaw was on the floor. <sighs> at around the 25 minute mark, Mr. Rogan discussed the possibility of humans exploring space to find, quote, an intelligent life form that was more primitive than us, like cave people, or some 2001 shit with a monolith, end quote. Without any sort of prompting whatsoever, Dr. Doblin responded by saying that we wouldn't even have to leave planet Earth when he said that, quote, we already know by looking at these tribes in the Amazon that are as if living cavemen. While discussing their thoughts on how Native Americans allegedly, quote, fought against each other so much, the term predator came up. As Dr. Doblin put it, quote, that was their sport in a way. I mean, they had that as killing. It, it was a way of becoming, you know, 
trained as a predator. I immediately produced a compilation of all the profoundly offensive rhetoric that Rogan had directed towards indigenous Americans over his career and published it on social media so as to raise awareness about this issue. And within a month's time, Izzy over at MAPS, who serves as their uh, director of policy and advocacy, privately told me over Twitter that he had, quote, brought the issue of Rick's statements up again and it sounds like folks will review after the intensity of the cover story podcast has been addressed. I understand why you're concerned, and I want to affirm that I care about the issue a lot as well." End quote. And for the record, I genuinely believe that he does care about this. I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, if there was a review, it must have been inconclusive because they have never released a statement on the matter. And you know, this wouldn't be the first time that MAPS has failed to promptly review video footage that required their attention, but that's something that we'll discuss later on. In August of 2022, I released an open letter condemning Dr. Doblin's rhetoric and implored MAPS to have the podcast removed from Spotify out of respect for Native communities. My concerns were ultimately ignored. Just three weeks ago, around the seventh anniversary of that original podcast, Dr. Doblin went back onto Rogan's podcast and didn't take a single moment to address the incident during the three hour long podcast. In the meantime, it should be acknowledged that in June of 2020, MAPS released a self-described statement of solidarity, which asserted that MAPS is, quote, working every day to integrate a deeper anti-racist practice into our work. We have made slow, deliberate progress and acknowledge that we have a long way to go. And they placed this next sentence in bold. We commit to doing the work for collective liberation. I'm surprised that I have to go out on a limb to say this, but it is not acceptable to call Native people cavemen or any other derogatory term. Referring to Indigenous Americans as cavemen implies that they are primitive, uncivilized, and inferior to other groups of people. If I may say so, such rhetoric is not something that the psychedelic community wants to hear from somebody who's serving as a representative for our field of research. It is essential, in my opinion, for MAPS to promptly reflect on this matter if they do not wish to passively sustain the life breath of racist ideologies and continue to allow that podcast to remain on Spotify. These are the same exact racist stereotypes that have been used to justify the mistreatment and oppression of indigenous Americans. Using such language contributes to a culture of discrimination, prejudice, and hatred. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to utilize language that is inclusive, respectful, and mindful of the diverse perspectives and identities of communities beyond our own. By contributing to, you know, racism, contributing to things that are going to perpetuate stereotypes about individuals. And first of all, individuals who have been using these plants have been, the plant medicines have been using the mushrooms that, you know, have brought you all the success, right? For mm -hmm. as part of their religion, as part of their culture for how long? Um, and so this net zero trauma and <laughs> this doesn't really comport, right? So, and that's a goal of maps. And, you know, I want to ask you, do you think that there's a chance that this conversation was just misinformed or? In my honest opinion, such remarks display a profound lack of cultural sensitivity and respect for the histories and experiences of these communities. Mm -hmm. 
it's particularly concerning that he hasn't addressed this at all. And is and it really has, that hard of a thing? That's facts. Like he's never addressed this. Not at all. And it would be okay. such an easy thing for him to do. He regularly issues those, uh, I wouldn't think it's fair to call him a newsletter, but he often issues these uh, statements that are uh, titled from the desk of Dr. Doblin, you know, coming straight from his desk. You know, this he's able to send out messages straight to the community, straight from his desk. Why not take an afternoon to type up a statement that could be sent to the entire community and perhaps address it on a podcast? Mm-hmm. There are many things that he could do to help address the situation, but he hasn't engaged in any of the activities that would comport with, shall we say, proper behavior. Uh, such uh, behaviors would include openly acknowledging that such an event transpired, uh, dedicating oneself to educating oneself about the lived experiences of these people, and to find ways to pay homage to these people as best as one can. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, um, he hasn't really brought up the topic of Native Americans much in his uh, speeches and presentations. When he has, <clears throat> he's pressed, uh, he's presented a lot of misinformation regarding the N- Native American church. Specifically, he often makes the claim that the Supreme Court or Congress, depending on what quote you're driving it from, have made a racist uh, proclamation determination rule that the Native American church can only allow people with uh, one quarter Native ancestry into uh, the church itself, which is absolutely baseless. Mm-hmm. What he's actually basing it on is the fact that the Texas uh, Board of Safety, I believe it is, has a rule that uh, only people who are able to show a, this is a legal term, a certificate of degree of Indian blood uh, that indicates that they have a quarter or more indigenous ancestry, they are legally able to purchase peyote. That is where that statistic is coming from. And he's claiming that the government is making this racist proclamation. No, that's not how it actually works. And he also often uh, creates this false narrative about the infamous case of Employment Division v. Smith, where he claims that the Native American church had a victory. It was the exact opposite. It was a major loss for the Native American church. And in fact, Congress had to pass a federal law so as to repeal that terrible decision mm-hmm. Com- uh, completely mischaracterizes the entire relevant history of the native american church to the community yeah. this is basic stuff so you would say you characterize this and then his behavior on joe rogan um as well as you know just the lack of the absolute lack of having addressed any any of these controversies right you could characterize this as you've said in your words, not so professional behavior, right? Not proper behavior. Um, and obviously, you know, the things that he said um, are not okay. And not addressing this is, you know, in our opinion, is also not okay. But beyond words, actions speak louder, right? Like recently, MAPS has announced that they've been working to include a large sample of non-white participants. They're really, they're, they say that they're attempting to bridge this gap within the research, which if anyone, you know, if you guys have been following along, obviously you'll know that clinical trials right now are so heavily, you know, populated with 
um, white male, right? Like, and also like a very certain age, very specific demographic. It's been really, really hard to have any non-white participants, right? Um, so MAPS, you know, announced that they're actively working on this. So I don't know, <laughs> MAPS had such a big role in making psychedelics a big enough deal to where the three of us are literally talking about them on this podcast in the year of our Lord, 2023, right? So there have been like all these really big things, you know? So do you think that there's a way for, for Max and Reese Doblin to make up for these past aggressions? Do you think that someone or like, you know, what an entity stands for can maybe even like change over time, even if they don't address it publicly, how he has not addressed it? Um, and you know, do you think that there's any coming back? Do you think that the actions that we've seen here, do you think the positives, do you think there's a chance that they could make up for or outweigh the bad? I think that's a perfectly fair question. I think it is more than possible for Dr. Doblin to make amends, shall we say, for this situation regarding the Rogan podcast. However, even if he were to finally come out after this podcast has aired and address the situation, for me, that'd be too little too late. Um, uh, I would like to see him possibly donate to IPCI or another indigenous led organization. That would be lovely, I think. Um, there's a lot that could be said, but um, we have a lot on our plate and I wanna make sure that we cover a lot of the bases that we wanted to cover. And I'd say a good way to tie in those thoughts early would be for Dr. Doblin to address his previous comments. That way he can help begin the healing process for the trauma that was created from that. And from my perspective, the only way to go about creating a net zero trauma world is to prioritize the prevention of trauma by addressing its root causes and create a more just and equitable society at all levels. Um, final comments about that. There are solutions to creating a world with less trauma. The solution isn't to bring a branded form of MDMA across the globe. So, okay. So putting out the MDMA, right? That's not gonna create a world with net zero trauma. So what I'm hearing is that you don't have um, any qualms with the idea of this net zero trauma world, right? Like that would be great, but to, in order to achieve that, you have to do it in a way that that's a little bit different from what you think MAPS is, is, is doing. Um, but, you know, MAP seems to be interested in community and collaboration and creating a psychedelic space and uplifting and supporting people in that space. Do you think putting the MDMA aside, right, because you make a great point, do you think that MAP has maybe achieved, like worked to achieve this positive collective and maybe to address other issues? Do you feel like they've made any progress or you can't really make that progress if all these other issues exist? I would go so far as to say that whatever trauma that they have alleviated has been replaced by an inescapably terrible situation that they have found themselves in where Dr. Dobbin continues to, uh, as we will discuss later, cover up patient abuse, which in turn has re-traumatized the MAPS patients in question. And it isn't just those people that have been hurt. Um, people have lost faith in their leaders. Um, we, wanna, we wanna find a better way forward. And as far as a, 
I mean, we were just talking about a net zero trauma world, and here's a really great segue into what's a part of this net zero trauma world. Dr. Doblin keeps insisting that including refugees in their research is a part of this net zero trauma world. Okay, let's dig a little bit into that. You know, as we've seen on social media, the war in Ukraine has caused plenty of people to exhibit knee-jerk reactions that are shaped by their worldview and personal rhetoric. And when it comes to Dr. Doblin, the answer to many of society's woes can be found in MDMA and other psychedelics. And indeed, he's proposed a rather questionable solution to Ukraine, quote, moving forward from this major geopolitical conflict that'll shape the course of history. About a year ago, when the New York Times was reporting that lifeless bodies were scattered across the streets of major Ukrainian cities, Dr. Doblin went on the airwaves to assert that maps could, quote, help the situation by engaging in a, quote, experiment with war-torn Ukrainian refugees. What kind of experiment, you ask? He has suggested that MAPS could bring MDMA therapists to, quote, some sort of stable refugee center or something, end quote, where they conduct experimental group therapy sessions with approximately 400 people. Not all at once, obviously, but he has never defined what the group size would be. I say experimental because Dr. Dublin has stated during the World Happiness Festival that the active arm of the trial would receive a single MDMA session which to my knowledge has yet to be performed within the clinical literature. How exactly is it humanitarian or compassionate to subject vulnerable populations to under-investigated forms of psychopharmacological treatments? What do you two think? You'd think that uh, people have learned their lessons since that happened with uh, African-American populations um, previously. Skitty experiments. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't think of the name, yeah. This just reeks of like that old science that we learn in psychology mm. and like or in our ethics classes. Like, yeah. like you know, here's what you don't do. do. <laughs> exactly. And you know, as I, I would like to say that take being, you know, as refugees, at, you know, vulnerable populations are so easily taken advantage of. And we've seen that historically. We also see that currently, you know, like this is something that's never, never been gone. Um, and oh my God, like we are here trying to help people, right, with these psychedelics. The goal of this, I don't think anyone would tell you, no, that's like not what I'm interested. In. I mean, wait, I take that back. Some people would, would are interested in other things here. Um, but most people in the field are here to help people. And by making, you know, by sensationalizing a, a deep issue in society and using it, you know, to further, further your mission. Well, your mission exactly further your mission and like hey like we can help here you know like it is I think a little bit gauche and just very very <laughs> you know against against what we're trying to do and god just like doesn't it drive you crazy like the the injustice of it <laughs> sorry I just did all that one sorry god but yeah um well, so, you're right that's on. how I feel about about that, you know, and that's how I feel about anyone trying to use vulnerable populations in their research for furthering their own cause versus actually helping people, right? So, exactly. And just to give the audience some perspective, I want to give everyone the details of what Dalvin has said on the record. Uh, he has admitted that it would be a my words here logistical nightmare 
to engage in follow-up research. Quote, it's going to be a challenge. How do you keep track of these refugees when they're driven from their homes and who knows where they're going to go? End quote. Dobbin continues on with the logistical nightmares. Quote, how do you manage um, those people that are having difficult experiences? How can you give them enough support? End quote. Let me rephrase that for everyone. He's literally asking if MAPS will be able to psychologically will be able to manage psychologically distressed refugees within the study. This should be cause for alarm. Quote, who's going to manage them? There are not enough psychiatrists or psychotherapists. There need to be other people trained to do this treatment delivery other than just keeping it limited to therapists or psychiatrists. Let me rephrase that again. He is suggesting that the experimental research be conducted in part by people who are neither scientifically qualified, nor would they possess the highest degree of skill and care necessary for engaging in such research. I question whether or not Dr. Doblin is willing to gamble with the mental health of refugees when he makes the claim that, quote, um, you know, maybe, um, it is okay to have it where, on balance, you know, most of the people are getting better, but there are some that don't get the support that they need, and it, you know, doesn't really help them. Keep in mind that Dr. Dobbin has stated that his quote sense of it is, it's a risk that MAPS must take. I want to remind everyone that articles six and eight of the Nuremberg codes state that the degree of risk to be taken in experimental research should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. Article 8 states that the experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. The highest degree of skill and care should be required through all stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. Does this cause concern for either of you? Yeah, so I wanted to kind of discuss, I guess, this is kind of where that you know, okay, you, you know, said some bad stuff on the internet versus like when your unprofessionalism becomes dangerous, right? Um, so just, you know, to orient our listeners a little bit, um, this is, we're talking generalized and specific quotes of somebody who is in charge of a 15 to $20 million organization. Look it up, like it's public record. Um, the net worth of um, Rick Doblin alone is $5 million as of 2023. I think that this is important to highlight that like these comments going into like risk and who's providing therapy and like this bias of your own mission is when this um, not so professional behavior like we've been calling it um it does become dangerous and so um sasha can you talk a little bit more about like n not recognizing the risks that do come with like these therapies and like the therapist without a license well i i wanted to definitely address the fact that he has been encouraging the general public to practice mdma assisted psychotherapy without a license but um cover story is definitely very important so i want to address that first mm -hmm. um I will very I will have a hard time trying to encapsulate many hours of podcast footage into a few sentences, but simply put, uh, episode six and seven uh, indicated that uh, there was cause for concern in the reliability of maps data, uh, given that well many things happened. Uh, among the things that happened, uh, two 
MDMA uh, two MAPS patients came forward to uh, the symposia team and affirmed that they had experienced worsening of suicidal symptoms during the course of the MAPS clinical trials. However, they were marked as successes on paper. And uh, specifically, uh, they were, uh, the two individuals I just mentioned were uh, nicknamed Leia and Mel in the series. Leia described her suicidality uh, in the following terms, quote, I was extremely suicidal by then, end quote, meaning uh, I believe near the end of the clinical trial, perhaps shortly after, uh, but she did attribute it to the MDMA therapy itself. Um, she also described leftover psychedelic effects. Uh, that's a verbatim quote, by the way, and also delusions and paranoia. She was also not allowed to participate in the long-term follow-up research. I know it's been confirmed, but can you just tell like other people, like have has that been confirmed um, like through looking at data analysis that they were not included? I have listened to uh, Dr. Doblin remark on this exact matter a number of different times, and he has repeatedly insisted that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Leia, not Mel, but Leia, quote, lied, end quote, to the Raiders, uh, sort of reframing it, misframing it, rather, in my opinion, because as the way she described it in the podcast, she felt compelled to provide uh, my words, not hers, good answers so that she could appease the Raiders to help pu push the movement forward. And that's part of the Dobbin effect. He has this really strange effect on people where he is pushing this movement so forward that he is literally getting people to man unnecessarily manipulate their own data. And that's screwing with our ability to know for sure whether or not MAPS is MDMA therapy model actually works. Yeah, so yeah. I was just going to say, so you're saying like, you know, the the expectations of this mission that we discussed um, earlier is, you know, potentially causing participants to come to these trials and want it to work so bad, right? And I believe that's kind of what they covered in the Cover Story podcast, that the data is not reflective because of this, like, you want it to work and this mission, you want this mission to work that it's like reflected in some of the data. Exactly. And uh, perhaps the best statement that I have found on the matter that indicates that uh, that he has simply not been accurate in his statements regarding the risk of suicidality in the MAPS clinical trials at Wonderland 2022 in Miami, he stated the following regarding suicidal behavior and uh, ideation within MAPS clinical trials. Quote, none of that happened in the MDMA group in either studies. That is the phase three and phase two clinical trials. Uh, however, if I'm not mistaken, it was Leia who was in phase three and Mel who was in phase two. So stubborn data points to contend with. The, those two individuals reported suicidal ideation, suicidality. Okay, okay. So, you know, I wanted to, I was gonna ask this earlier. So on the case of the participants coming in and maybe not being honest on their self-report, you know, that's an issue we see all across science. So do you think again, that this is a MAPS and Rick Doblin specific thing, or is this like a bigger, you know, like this is just a consequence of the field? Because, you know, we have that in a lot in psychological studies, like people come in and 
will often do what they feel the researcher wants them to do. And you, that's why you have some questions, um, some like reverse coded questions on your, your self-report forms to catch that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, what do you think? Do you think this is like for sure, like a map specific problem? I think you offered an excellent counterpoint. However, I have my own counterpoint to your counterpoint. Uh, getting back to that Doblin effect, uh, let's not forget he constantly goes on the airwaves to say things like, quote, MDMA doesn't change brains in a bad way. It changes brains in a good way, opens up channels of love and things like that, end quote. He's also said that MDMA is, quote, perfectly designed for the treatment of trauma. Quote, when I tell people about MDMA who have never done it, I say that it's more gentle than cannabis, end quote. Quote, MDMA is the gentlest of all the psychedelic drugs. He's obviously never snorted MDMA. <laughs> he must balloon it. But yeah. Let's take a pill. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there, there's a lot on the table here. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to make sure that I can get my point across that, or rather ensure that the audience can understand my position that he has abused the public's trust. So we were talking about cover story earlier, and there's a really important matter that I want to address. Uh, Dr. Doblin has repeatedly downplayed the most egregious of behavior from the MAPS therapist Richard Jensen in order to, in my opinion, safeguard MAPS's reputation and he does this through the use of what I have termed evasive euphemisms, or you could just do a Kellyanne Conway and call them alternative facts, but you know, better yet, we'll just call them for what they are. They are willful omissions of facts. He has referred to the chronic sexual abuse of one of the MAPS participants. He has referred to that sexual abuse that was not prevented by maps as a quote sexual relationship repeatedly repeatedly calls it a sexual relationship he has claimed that richard jensen engaged in quote bad behavior he's also referred to the abuse in a somewhat more palatable fashion by calling it unethical sexual misconduct now while that term is slightly more accurate it doesn't do justice to the fact that maps as an organization has repeatedly downplayed the harms that megan has endured and that to me is unacceptable and i will largely place that blame upon dr doblin so as to not tarnish the reputation of others but these evasive euphemisms are one of the worst jedi mind tricks i've ever seen this is not the abuse you're looking for. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And, and you know, I, I applaud them for putting together a patient bill of rights. I think that's a good step forward. They've made many steps forward. However, keep this in mind. A patient bill of rights can be violated just like somebody's constitutional rights can be violated. It doesn't prevent these actions from happening. It, it shows that MAPS is caring of the situation and wants to ensure patient safety, but they're not addressing the elephant in the room, the Doblin effect. And one of the best examples that I could possibly provide for that is that of his encouragement to 
he has repeatedly encouraged the general public to practice MDMA assisted psychotherapy without a license. And I have a personal story to include in this and um, you'll see why I brought it up. Um, I'm not gonna beat around the bush with this one. There's no easy way to put it. Um, He has repeatedly encouraged people to engage in behavior that is a crime in all 50 states, a felony in many. I'll present my evidence in a moment, but I wanna start off by saying this. His choice to encourage people to practice drug-assisted psychotherapy without appropriate licensure is deeply concerning, as it could potentially put vulnerable individuals at risk. Psychotherapy is a highly specialized field that requires extensive training and expertise, period. Beyond this, engaging in such behavior places people at risk for severe legal consequences. His attempt to normalize unquestionably felonious behavior is, in my humble opinion, indicative of a deep disregard for the reasons why such laws are put in place. Encouraging such behavior inherently places Dr. Dobbins' receptive followers at risk for legal consequences. Those who may claim that I am taking him out of context here will immediately withdraw their criticisms if they were to learn that Dr. Doblin spent the first four minutes of his most recent Joe Rogan podcast by legitimizing this behavior. He primed his audience by quoting Martin Luther King Jr.'s opinion that civil disobedience can be patriotic and immediately follow that up by telling millions across the globe that underground psychedelic therapists don't quote need a license (laughs) oh he was laughing about it and while that was going on mr rogan immediately responded by saying did you wind up getting in trouble dobbin responded by exclaiming no it's astonishing i think a lot of times we overestimate the efficiency of the government and so nothing happened at all he sounds like a child Getting back to what <laughs> Sad to say his that. executive manager was saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Um, let's get straight to the heart of the matter. In 1972, a teenage Rick Dobbin was concerned about the ramifications of his choice to resist the draft. And like many young adults, he was still trying to figure out his path in life. And I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. But after he started taking LSD around this time, he had an aha moment. He realized that he would become an underground psychedelic therapist. He would come to tell himself, quote, you don't need a license for that. Regarding this self-described strategy, Dr. Doblin in August of last year said that, quote, this quote, that is, you don't need a license to be a psychedelic therapist, has been fundamentally important, end quote, to my career, or rather to his career. Although he has... Although he wanted to become a therapist for a long time in the 70s, a decade would pass before he decided to interact with, as he often puts it, quote, my first patient or my first PTSD patient. Uh, At the time, Dr. Dobbin had yet to receive his undergraduate degree in psychology. And back in 1984, when MDMA was still perfectly legal, I just want to make that clear. uh, Dr. Dobbin sold some to someone who in turn gave it to their girlfriend, whose name was Marcella. Marcella self-administered an unknown quantity of the supposedly pure MDMA that Dr. Doblin had distributed, and as a result, Marcella's past traumas surfaced during the experience, and that caused a psychologically distressing reaction to the extent that she checked herself into a hospital to prevent self-harm. I'm guessing that one of the compelling reasons that led her to this choice was that she had previously attempted suicide. 
After she was released from the hospital, she was given a variety of psychiatric medications for her schizophrenia and other conditions. And Dr. Dobbin has acknowledged that Marcella was at this time, quote, on the edge of suicide and, quote, even more in despair because, quote, she had no other options. I personally question the degree to which Marcella was able to provide fully informed consent. Perhaps the most crucial element of this story was the fact that Dr. Dobbin was not adequately trained to provide care to a PTSD patient and thus not qualified to assist her. A quick side note, Dr. Dobbin obtained his PhD from the Harvard Kennedy School and the degree was in public policy. He does not have a medical degree as such. He did obtain an undergraduate degree in psychology, but he did not ever obtain appropriate accreditation or licensure to become a clinician. I just want to make that clear because I wanted to highlight the perspective of Rosalind Watts, the clinical psychologist who worked as the clinical lead for Imperial College London's psilocybin trial. While at South by Southwest 2022, she told the audience that psychedelic therapy is sometimes akin to, quote, opening Pandora's box. Emphasizing the fact that psychedelic-assisted therapy is an intensive form of therapy that requires significant expertise on the part of the provider, she stated that, quote, one of the participants in the Imperial trial that I worked with in his trip, he felt like he was reliving being suffocated by his mother as an infant. Do either of you think the average person would be able to support someone as they go through something like that? So this gets into what I wanted to say. Um, no, I don't think so. And this is something that I actually got attacked for my opinion on Twitter about. And everyone knows that um, if you go back and listen to our episode with uh, Dr. Aday about if psychedelic assisted therapists should trip or not. Um, I stated that, you know, I'd rather have a therapist that's trauma-informed if that's what I'm seeking treatment for, not someone who has partaken in a psychedelic. Um, so I think that's that really gets at like what you're, what you're talking about is like people who are performing psychotherapy to trauma or to folks who have experienced trauma like they need to be well-versed in that. They need to be trained. Like it, you don't need some person who really had a great time on MDMA that now wants to like heal everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, And this, you know, kind of gets back to, so this was the example that you had given Sasha was where an incident in which Rick Doblin was directly involved in this without having been certified and knowing how to do this himself for uh, his friends or something. Um, and in the case of um, that horrific, you know, that participant that was taken advantage of in these trials, in the maths trials, won't mention her name, um, you know, there was one therapist that was licensed and one wasn't because they're you know maps the the at the time and I don't even know if now but only in the trials only one therapist needed to be certified so you know this is a learning process like this is a new a relatively new field like it's a relatively new paradigm this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy do you think part of this is a learning curve or like do you think there could be coming back from this and having maybe more uh, regulations for like future clinical trials or do you think that 
this says like where we have gotten to at this point is too much well and I also want to just interject and say like not speaking like obviously sexual abuse is not a learning curve oh God. yes yes but <laughs> no I wanted to it's never <laughs> okay that is not yeah, okay no. <laughs> it's not a oh I'm a learning no like absolutely that's not you know what I mean I mean in general these rules surrounding these you know Who's providing the therapy providing the care this level of certification that they need to to provide this care are nice. they Balances. do they know what they're doing do they not know what they're doing definitely not that is it okay that you know we're learning from the sexual assault that is never okay thank you elena thank you for <laughs> uh well i want to answer your questions really uh briefly um i want to see maps move forward i want to see maps progress i if you were to ask me for my honest opinion i would love to see a new effective treatment for PTSD that is safe insofar that the risks are highly detailed and we are able to manage those risks because there are proven strategies to help mitigate those uh, potential adverse events. And I think there is a path forward for MAPS. I can't give them the solutions though. I'm, I've, I've tossed a, a, actually a few out today, I think, um, but it's ultimately on them. To move forward i'm not paid by them i'm not their lackey it's it's their job at the end of the day to do a good job and um my job as a journalist to report on the facts um i, I did want to include a personal story uh that speaks to the Dobbin effect that i think our listeners need to hear just so they can understand how profound of an effect it is um for the record i've never gone on the record about this and I hope that people will see the value in my choice to do this. Several years ago, a close friend of mine uh, informed me that her sister had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Terminal case. It was a difficult situation for her. She came to me with the belief that I was the most knowledgeable and informed person who could possibly assist in a session where she would, of her own free will and volition, take souls having mushrooms. And she asked if I could be there for support. This was something I momentarily considered because I knew that she was in pain and I wanted to help. And all the while, I had this thought playing in the back of my head Quote, it's called the treatment manual that explains our therapeutic approach, how our therapeutic approach is done, and you can practice it on your own with your friends. Dr. Doblin stated that in reference to suggesting that people could take MDMA on their own and combine it with the MAPS MDMA therapy manual. Although uh, a different substance was hypothetically going to be used, I actually downloaded that manual and took a look at it. And within moments, I realized that there was no way that I could ethically go about doing that, that it would be highly dangerous and completely illegal. And ultimately, I decided to turn down my friend's request, as I should have. And although it was tragic 
that my friend's sister's passing was painful and prolonged, I can honestly say that it would have been reckless for anyone to have attempted such a task. In her final months, she weighed only 90 pounds, was barely able to walk around, and often went into delusional states from the medications that she was taking. I've chosen to transparently share this story so as to help our audience realize the impact of Dr. Dobbin's public statements. I can say with absolute certainty that I'm not the only person who has considered following through on Dr. Doblin's calls for a quote, democratization of psychedelics and therapy. I have had colleagues reach out to me since I brought Marcella's story to light, and they told me that they have engaged in this exact sort of behavior, and that they don't regret their choice to skirt the law and offer an under-investigated form of psychotherapy without medical licensure because, in their words, quote, we know the medicine works even if the clinical trials aren't able to, quote, prove it. Just a few final remarks before we go into, into discussion mode. It's a fact that Marcella wasn't Doblin's only self-described patient. While discussing his work as an alleged therapist on Anne Filippi's podcast, Dr. Doblin admitted that he, quote, occasionally sat for people in difficult straits. What kind of difficult straits might you ask? Dr. Doblin has admitted that this is on the record, by the way, that he has, quote, worked with people several days before they died. He described giving MDMA to these terminally ill cancer patients as a, quote, risky situation. He described the situation in the following terms, quote, these people were dying anyway, and we all decided to take the risk. I cannot stress enough how chilling these words are to me. I think it's, I think, I forget what episode this was in, but in one of the previous episodes, I made my opinion on this very clear. I think that it is irresponsible to, you know, offer a level of care that you just are not trained in uh, to other people. You know, it's just not respecting, I think, the integrity of this is also, you know, used ritually and whether you're using it to actually help people or you're taking it in a different, like the context really matters, right? Like, I don't know. I think the context matters. The sentence setting also matters. So if you're not prepared to deal with all of the consequences of that person's mindset or the setting that you're administering in or what have you, I think, you know, if you're not properly trained like I mentioned earlier or just like I don't know you don't know what that person's going to go through so you can't go through the you can't imagine the level of care that they're going to need especially someone who's terminally ill and you know what I'm gonna say that this is a part of a, a part of this is a problem that I think is um a function of the way that our medical system is and our society that functions around money is because accessibility for you know programs and actual accredited clinical trials or places that can actually help people with psychedelic, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy are first of all, very inaccessible to most people Two, if, you know, this ever becomes something that's available to the public is going to be so, so, so expensive. So I think for a lot of people, there's a demand for like this, some way to do this at home. And one of the biggest failings is that we do not make clear enough that that is not safe 
There is no, it's not tested. There is no protocol for people doing this at home. We are still even, we've just talked about the, the millions of things that went wrong in clinical trials because, you know, for many reasons, but partly because we have never done this before. So like, I think very scary and irresponsible and can re-traumatize people, can further traumatize people if things go wrong, right? I mean, yeah, there's there's a clear difference between taking psychedelics or MDMA or whatever for party, for fun, or for healing deep trauma or for, you know, kind of like healing anxiety. Yeah. So I think that not recognizing that there's a difference there is completely dangerous to people in general and to the mission that um, you know, MAPS is trying to like serve. And, and I think this also speaks to like a broader issue within the psychedelic therapy field is that most people providing psychedelic therapy in or out of trials, above ground, underground, literally whatever, their accreditation, if you can call it that, is through uh, online courses, which mm-hmm. they're not accredited. And so this may not even be, you know, a Doblin specific problem. This is an overarching problem within the psychedelic feel because you know like we don't the APA has even come out and say like hey this isn't like regulated by us this is mm-hmm. like we're not backing this right now we need more evidence for this model so I think that's something that's important that can kind of fit on both sides of the coin like yes what we're calling the Doblin effect is very real he's out here like preaching that people should do this without any previous experience or accreditation and then it also speaks to the fact that like maybe this isn't just a Dublin issue. This is a issue of the whole um, psychedelic. Um, yeah. Of the way it's set up, right. The, setup. the back end. <laughs> I don't and, I think, know. and I think that all the leaders in the field need to come together and address this um, and address how they're touting this situation and how they're touting psychedelics because that's not going to happen. Right. Because it's not going to make people money at the end of the day. As well, people want to make money, right? Which I mean, I want to make money too, but like not (laughs) taking advantage of other people, right? Like and actively harming people. Like I get it. We all want money, but like not like that. Yeah, exactly. There are a few quick other issues that I wanted to address. Um, Dr. Dobbin has repeatedly insisted that the clinical trial participant who experienced sexual abuse at the hands of her MAPS trained therapist, that the sexual abuse happened, quote, after the therapy was over, end quotes. Uh, That is, um, I don't quite know what to say to that, because if you actually watch the clinical footage that is available and is linked in the show notes, you will see her therapist, Richard Jensen, uh, cuddling and spooning with her for prolonged periods of time. Uh, There is an instance in which he can be, there is an audible kiss he kisses the clinical trial participants, and at a certain point, while uh, all three of them, that is the clinical trial participant, Jensen and his wife, are spooning together on the sofa, whatever, um, uh, Mr. Jensen pushes his groin into the clinical trial participant's backside repeatedly. Um, if that's not indicative of sexual abuse, I don't quite know what is. So just to provide everyone context with the incident as it relates to the MAPS clinical trial participant who experienced sexual abuse at the hands of her MAPS trained therapist. Um, that video footage of her 
clinical sessions was released by colleagues at Symposia after she gave it to them after having realized that there was disturbing footage within it. Um, at the time, this clinical trial participant was shown to the public as a success story for MAPS. On paper, she got better. But there was a hidden truth beneath the text that uh, some people weren't acknowledging. Um, it eventually came to light at MAPS that improper conduct had occurred, to say the least. And initially, uh, according to the reporting I've seen, MAPS was initially hesitant to make a public statement, but after approximately 10 uh, MAPS representatives uh, from not just MAPS, but MAPS Canada and MAPS PBC, I believe as well, uh, came forward with their own letter condemning the incidents, which prompted MAPS to release a statement that described the sexual abuse, again, as a, quote, sexual relationship. This was not amended until 2022, after the actual clinical footage had been brought to light. In the 2019 statement, it was mentioned that MAPS had reviewed the, quote, study records related to the clinical trial participants' experience in the clinical trial. And these study records, according to the statement, included video footage. Therein lies the problem. They stated that the review of the study records did not indicate, quote, signs of ethical violation. That is the exact uh, quote. And uh, lo and behold, either they did not watch the videos at that time, that is no one, not even an adherence rater who is literally tasked with doing so, um, either that happened or some people did and it never got out at the time that it should have to warn other clinical trial participants. And that in itself is uh, perhaps the best example I can think of a cover-up. And Dr. Doblin's undergraduate thesis points this out as well when he points out Dr. Walter Pankey's hypocrisy regarding the omission of an adverse event that occurred during the Good Friday experiment. Look it up. I've actually included it in the show notes uh, just so we can save everyone time and get, uh, <laughs> try and wrap this up for everyone. Be mindful of everyone's time. So I think um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give a comment about like, for me, all of these situations taken together, right? I always wonder why when this happens, whether it's in psychedelics, whether it's in big pharma or, you know, medicine or not medicine, like any large company, why not just admit that you were wrong, issue a public apology and like ask yourself and like work with in your organization to not do it again like I don't understand like I just can't wrap my head around like just continuing to deny it when it's something that you shouldn't like denial just makes it look worse I don't know this is just something I've always struggled with at any time like a scandal or anything happens right only to the people that like are gonna have the wherewithal to look into it, right? The vast majority of people that Rick Doblin is now reaching and MAPS is now reaching are people that don't really delve, in, delve into like the issues, right? So they're gonna see that what he says, right? They're gonna hear what he says. So to cater to the bigger, bigger crowd, right? And that is actively not, I mean, what 
MAPS, I think even stands for, right? It's to help people like show an accurate representation of what the field is, what they work towards. So that's what I think the answer there is. Like, I was going to say, like, it seems to me like in any situation, like the ones we've highlighted, um, the best way to move forward. But if they're, if you're really about this healing and this collective and this, um, you know, whatever, uh, (laughs) like that's like recognizing that you did something wrong and moving forward to heal with the people that you've harmed seems like the way to go about it. If that's your mission, but uh, obviously that's not the case and the evidence that you present and what will have links um, on the, on the blog. So just some food for thought there. Um, it always bugs me whenever anything happens like this, but me too. And you know, you are completely right. It wouldn't take that much effort for maps to address some of these situations and move forward in a very healthy way. Um, I'm going to offer some thoughts here and I want to make sure the audience knows that it's my opinion and perhaps just pure conjecture, but um, I don't think that Dr. Doblin is willing to be honest about these topics because I don't think he's able to be honest with himself. Call me harsh for saying that, but um, I have consistently seen a terrible display of behavior over the past few years. And I honestly wish him the best. I want him to be happy. I want MAPS to move forward. I want the clinical trial participants who were harmed to find justice. I want everything to get better, but that's it's not gonna be that easy. I really love the work that Autumn Blackdeer does. Excuse me, Dr. Blackdeer. She's an indigiqueer scholar and activist from the Southern Cheyenne Nation and serves as an assistant professor at the Denver University. And she's stated the following. An elder was sharing with me last night about how storytelling is a decolonial method and these stories need to be told. But what stuck with me the most was when she said, not all stories have happy endings. We need to sit with that discomfort in order to begin the healing process. Wiser words could not have been said. I totally agree. Okay, so essentially I'm gonna sort of gather our thoughts here. What we're gathering here Um, is that everything that you've talked about today is your call to action for Rick and MAPS. It's not about the research, right? It's not about MAPS as an organization and the goals of MAPS and the things that MAPS, right, as an organization has done. Um, It's about the lack of professionalism and the behavior of the executive director. So again, unrelated to the organization itself, personal actions. Do you think, I think I might have asked this before, but do you think there's a way for Doblin to stay on at MAPS, right? Because he, I'm going to say this again, like he was a key instrument in getting MAPS to where it was, putting MAPS on the map, putting psychedelics, you know, out there. And he's done a lot for the field, right? In the beginning and and even some would argue now, so do you think that there's a way for him to stay on at maps in a different way? Or do you think that in his, this, his behavior uh, calls for a full retirement? I would say the latter. And while I completely agree with you that Dr. Doblin has made many terrific efforts at 
legitimizing this field of research, as I mentioned earlier. I applaud him for that. I think that was terrific work. He has brought us this far. But as a, as a colleague of mine recently told me, who happened to share the stage with him at a major event, which I won't name so as to protect their identity, uh, he told me that he's taken us this far, but he shouldn't take us through the last mile. And there's a story that I keep thinking about. Um, Moses guided his people through the desert. And although he was able to see the promised land from a distance, he was never able to set foot in it. And that's not to say that Dr. Darwin doesn't deserve to see the promised land of MDMA becoming a medicine. Um, I want him to live long enough to see that. Um, I was really happy to learn that his prostate cancer went into remission. That was truly concerning when I first heard about that. And I honestly wish him all the best, truly. Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, we've thrown a lot of information at our listeners today, and uh, we just want to leave with some considerations moving forward. Um, I just, you know, want to just reiterate that our podcast does aim to cover everything related to psychedelic science. Uh, if you don't agree with everything said today, totally fine. We don't expect you to. Um, Tell us why you don't disagree, because we would love to know all of it. Yeah, like engage with us. Like this is um, a place for active growth and learning. So keep in mind the stuff on here is the sole opinion of us speakers, not any opinion related to our affiliations. Um, secondly, uh, we're going to be posting those articles, uh, the video mentioned and some other information that Sasha has graciously provided um, and investigated today. Uh, so you can access it yourself. Uh, so with that, Sasha, do you have any final thoughts uh, to leave our listeners with? I do actually. Um, one of the th things that I found most inspirational about Dr. Dobbin early on was his calls for nonviolent civil resistance. And I really appreciate that concept. And in fact, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who inspired Dr. Doblin in part to, to uh, resist the draft, uh, not register rather. Uh, that was a war that he didn't feel was being conducted for the right reasons and refused to participate in. And I can sympathize with that. That choice to question the motivations of authoritarians who risked the lives of others only to disquash dissent when it came their way. I, I want to wrap this up by highlighting some motivational quotes from that beloved minister that he made in November of 1956. The nonviolent resistor is constantly seeking to persuade the opponents that they are mistaken. This method is passive physically, but dynamically aggressive, spiritually speaking. The nonviolent resistor must often voice their protest through non-cooperation or boycotts, but they realize that these methods are not ends within themselves. They are merely means to awaken a sense of moral shame within the opponents. The end is redemption and reconciliation." End quote. At the 2016 Horizons Conference, Dr. Dobbin told the audience that he feels that his job is to, quote, be perpetually dissatisfied and to want more. Once I'm happy, then that means that somebody else should lead maps. So please, do tell me, Dr. Doblin, are you happy? I, I want to end my comments today with a quote from Leah Mix, a licensed marriage and family therapist who is in this space. Quote, 
We do need to evolve the ways that we're holding each other accountable in learning about the process of delivering this care. When there are ruptures, how do we address those? And how is that part of the healing process? That is not under the purview of any one organization. That is all of our work together. All right. There you have it. This is an intense conversation. Um, thanks a lot, Sasha, for all of the hard work you did investigating these uh, these claims and everything, you know, and for coming on the podcast to talk to us. Um, and as always, you can find us on the internet via our website, psychedelicbrainscience.com. Uh, you can catch us on our Patreon, which is just slash your brain on science and our socials. Uh, thanks to everyone again. Uh, we'll grace your ears in a few weeks. We're taking a little vacay. So, you know, we're going to stir the pot and then we're going to leave. So definitely send us your comments, <laughs> email us, let us know what you thought about all of our stuff on this bicycle week. Um, and, you know, we'll get back to you. So.